Grace Family Church of Rhode Island presents Word of Hope, a sermon series with Pastor Luciano Cozzi. Welcome. The Word of Hope sermon series is a ministry of Grace Family Church of Rhode Island. It was instituted to bring sound teachings from the Word of God to as many people as possible. Our purpose is to offer you a message that is quite practical and contemporary that brings the Word of God to light in a way that makes sense in your daily life. As you listen to this message, it is our hope and prayer that the Lord will bless you through it and bring you hope, comfort, and guidance. And now, Pastor Kotze. is closing his letter to the Philippians. And oftentimes, when you write to somebody, you want to leave them with something that is really meaty, meaningful. Uh, the, the old saying is, the last thing said is a, probably the most important thing. And that seems to be the case in here as well. I have had to turn to chapter 4 of Philippians innumerable times because people seem to have, especially in our world today, and regardless of which, again, culture or nationality or language you're coming from, people seem to have quite a problem with anxiety, worry, with issues that take hold of our hearts. And especially the anxiety, they seem, it seems to take hold of our heart and then squeeze it under a tightened belt so that you feel like you're, you're stuck in there and, and there's no way out. And it builds up. And the more you feel it, the more it seems to get worse and build up. Notice the way Paul starts. My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, Paul has been explaining to them a number of things. This is, again, like I said before in the previous weeks, it's not a letter of rebuke. It's a letter of encouragement, of strength. There are some warnings in there as well. But it's a letter that reflects this thought. My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. Paul is quite pleased with the Philippians. He has shared with them a number of difficult times. He has heard about a number of hurdles that they were able to endure and overcome. And, and he's expressing his love for them which is a reflection, small, little reflection of the love of God for all people. And that is a love that we need to be motivated and moved by. We are not here to love one another with our own love. Otherwise, we'll probably default back to the human love of asking, well, I, I like to come to this church or I like this brother or sister of mine because, and after that, usually you fill the blank with something you obtain from it. I often have conversations with people who say, oh, I like going to that church because I get fed in there. Okay, that's a good thing. But then the conversation goes on and says, well, I, I feel good in here because I get this from it. 
And we lose sight of the fact that God has not called us so that we can be fed, so that we can be filled, so that we can feel good, so that we can, you know, we, 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 I, me, all the time. That's not what God has called us for. God has called us to be part of an army that is engaged in a spiritual war, in a spiritual battle, so that we can give of ourselves 100% of ourselves to God and participate with Him in His glory, in His love, and also in His plan. And Paul has done that. The Philippians have done that. And so he shares the love of God with them, just like we are called to share the love of God with one another. And the love of God is not a selfish love for, for in any mean of the word, in any sense of the word. But then he adds in this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. How are we supposed to stand firm? How are we supposed to endure? How are we supposed to be of the same spirit and solidly rooted in the Lord? Because it doesn't say stand firm in yourselves. It doesn't say stand firm in your club. Stand firm in whatever contract you signed with each other. No, it says stand firm in the Lord. We are one. Not because of a set of beliefs. Although there are some core ones that are very important. I wouldn't deny that. But that's not what makes us one either. We are one not because of a set of beliefs. We are one not because we go to the same church. We are one not because we do the same things or like the same things. We are one because the Lord has chosen us and called us to be at one with Him. And if you're one with the Lord and I'm one with the Lord, we're one with each other. And so Paul says, let us be firm in that oneness, my beloved. That's what needs to move us and motivate us to find harmony with one another and to be of the same heart and the same mind with one another. I remember when Suzanne and I were about to get married and after the hurdles that we had to go through, because that's a story in itself. Ah, good old days, huh? Then finally one pastor, one minister, who was actually my mentor at that time, said, well, have you gotten the engagement ring yet? And I said, are you kidding me? I can't even see her. <laughs> I have a long the engagement ring. He says, what are you waiting for? And I, all I needed is to hear those words for somebody, and then back, you know, back to the battle we went, which eventually got allowed us to win because we got married. Leaving all that aside, one thing that this person said is that you need to realize one thing. During your life, during your marriage, you will have many reasons to be at odds with each other because two sinners can never really completely get along with one another. Sin is a relational matter, but it's not something that brings relationships together. Sin tears apart relationships. We've seen it in Genesis. We see it all through Scripture. Sin takes us away from our relationship with God. And guess what? He added, but even though as sinners you cannot really get along very well, perfectly at least, and together, in Christ you are one. So he said, whenever you find that in, in yourselves you are at odds with each other, Rise to the Christ level. Because if you are a one with Christ and she's one with Christ, then you're one with one another as well. And that is so true, isn't it? So it's so true for every human relationship. Later on in the, in the years, I had another mentor who helped me to see that there is a correlation between the how the relationship between husband and wife goes and the relationship we have with God. And you can actually plot it. If you look at it over a period of a month, 
the days when the relationship with God is high, and you have another graph, you see the relationship with the couple is high. When you see the days of the relationship with God is low, you'll see the dropping also in the relationship between husband and wife as well. It, it's proven, it's, we've gone through many, 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 many times, and it, it follows, maybe with a slight delay, but it still follows in the same pattern overall. So we are to be at one with God and with one another in the Lord, and we also to stand firm. That indicates also the connotation of persevere, perseverance. The Philippian church was a pretty good church. It wasn't a bad church. Paul did not write a letter of rebuke to them to point out major problems that these people had. Paul wrote a what you might consider a love letter to the congregation. Paul cares about them, and he acknowledges their care for him. And yet, even though the Philippian church is portrayed with very good terms, guess what we find in here? We find conflict within that church. In this particular case, is Yodia and Synthike, two ladies, if you have a King James Version of the Bible, that they mistranslated one of the two names to be a masculine name. Actually, these are two women in the Greek, are two female names. But these two women, uh, some commentators, of course, have done their work in trying to come up with all sorts of explanations. What we know from the context, however, is very simple. There were two women. They were not in harmony with one another. They had a reason to be a conflict with each other. We don't know what the conflict was. What do you know what it was all about? Some people think they were deaconesses. I have no indication in Scripture here, but what we know is they had a problem, an issue. So what is Paul telling them? He says, I urge Eodia. Not as the wording he uses. I urge her. There is passion in there. There is strength. There is a feeling in there. And then he repeats it. I urge Synthike. Strong wording. To do what? To live in harmony. Or it could also be translated as to be of the same mind in the Lord. If you were here when we talked about chapter 2 of Philippians, you've, you've seen that expression before, to be of the same mind. And it seems like it's a very strong point that Paul wants to make here to this church. Look, guys, you're doing very well. You're shared with me in my sufferings. You have gone through some of your own. But what you need to be careful about is to continue to be of one same heart, one same mind. And that's not the mind of the pastor. And that's not the mind of Joe. It's not the mind of Mary or Elizabeth or anybody else. It's the mind of Christ that we need to be in. Live in harmony in the Lord. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Not he said, if emphasis over and over again. And then he refers to a true companion, someone that was in that congregation that had shared in a unique way a number of things with Paul. And again, we don't know who it is, so we're not going to put speculations about that. It's someone that had a special close relationship with Paul and has shared a lot with him as he was working to share the gospel in that area. He refers to him and is in the masculine, so he's not referring to Eodia or Synthica, he's referring to somebody else, a man. And he says, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Now they said, these women are not just ordinary people sitting and warming up the bench. These are people who have been active. They were sharing with Paul in his struggle 
in the cause of the gospel. They were sharing in the preaching. They were sharing in the spreading of the gospel in the area. And therefore, because of the things we've seen before about this Philippian church, they also shared in the troubles that the Philippian church was exposed to. So they shared in all of them. So they were just not passive members of that church. They were very active members of the church. And they were faithful members, but they had that issue. They were starting to gravitate toward conflict and allowing the conflict to get the best of them. Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, meaning to that companion that he refers to, please help them and help them together with Clement. So he's in calling for some of the leaders in that church in Philippi to work out with these people, with these two women, and make sure that they stay at peace and they remind them that they are they are in harmony in the Lord. And so they should live up to that harmony that God has given them. And then he gives us some very important advice. First of all, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say in verse 4, rejoice. Notice the emphasis he places in there. And again, I want to remind you who he's talking to. He's talking to a persecuted church, a church where he was heavily persecuted, not by the church, but in the community. So a church that has shared in his persecution, both by seeing them and witnessing them, but also participating and experiencing it on themselves. And Paul says, rejoice! Um, what does that mean? Well, I don't know about you, but if you were to slash the tires on my car beat me up, throw me in jail, cause me to run out of town to save my life, I would not be very happy, right? I don't suspect that you would be happy in that. If you are, please talk to me afterwards because we have an issue here. But I don't, I don't suspect that you would be happy for, to be treated that way. But being happy is one thing, and that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is not asking the Philippians to be happy. Oh, yeah, be happy, smile, no big deal. Yeah, ha, ha. No, that's not at all what he's talking about. And the words would even be different. He says, rejoice. Now, joy is inward. Joy, the joy that he's talking about is an inward joy, and it doesn't have to translate into a smiley face. I rejoice, for example, that I had a conversation with my brother before he died, and I understood from that conversation that God was working with him. I can't tell to what degree, because the medications took over afterwards, and basically he was no longer himself for the last few months. But I can't rejoice for his conditions. I cannot be happy, I meant to say, for his conditions. I cannot be happy at the fact that he was suffering so much. I cannot be happy at the fact that he died. But I can rejoice in the fact that I saw certain things, I saw God at work in him, even though I was hurting and suffering at the idea that he was dying in such a horrible way. It's different, you see. It's not quite the same thing. I can be sad because someone is in such a bad attitude that wants to mistreat my children, my wife and myself, and tries us to run us out of town. That would make me sad. But I can rejoice within. I can rejoice for the fact that God is gracious. 
I can rejoice for the fact that Christ suffered in that way before me. I can rejoice for the fact that many other people have shared in that kind of suffering and that we have an inheritance in Christ that transcends all of that. You can rip everything away from me, and that has been done before. You can lose everything, literally, except for the inheritance of Christ that's for you. Nobody can touch that. No one can touch it. And that's why Jesus taught us to not build our treasure on the earth. And treasure does not just necessarily mean finances. Anything you treasure, anything you value. He says, put your value, put your treasure, put the things that are precious to you in heaven. Orient yourself upward where you are in Christ. Because there, there is no rust. There is no drop in the market. There is no flood. There is no earthquake. Things are secure. But over here, you invest in a market. The market turns around overnight and you lose everything. You invest in a beautiful car. Then someone smashes into it and it's gone. You invest in a beautiful, great home and a house. And here comes a flood. And of course, even the insurance doesn't cover that anymore. So it's gone and you lost everything. I just had a conversation yesterday with a professional who lost all of his equipment, all of his things, all of you know, his house and the job in the flood. And I said, did they, did they step in to help you out? He says, well, the insurance would pay for that. We can lose all of that, but we can't lose Christ. We cannot lose the inheritance we have in Christ. We can lose our reward in Christ either. So we can rejoice in that country even though we don't have to be happy. And then it says, you experience this inward joy, which translates, however, into an outward expression. And the outward expression is gentleness, a gentle spirit. Let your gentle spirit be known to all people. Because the Lord is actually near. Now, some people say the Lord has almost come back. That could also be understood. The Lord is with you. And yes, it could be understood that the Lord, the Lord is very close and he's coming back and so on. But I like to look at it from the other perspective, if you allow me to, without taking a position, because I don't need to. Either way, it means the same thing. But I want you to think, for the sake of this sermon today, I want you to think about Christ being with you. In fact, about Christ being in you and you in him. And now I want you to think in terms of Acting within Christ, not outside of him in his company, but acting within him. Can you think about being nasty with one, with one another within Christ? Can you think about pushing one another and shoving one another and telling each other big bad words? You can't, can you? Because in Christ, within him, is totally inconsistent. So I want you to take it that way. I want you to think about it in that way. Because then your gentle spirit, the gentle spirit that Christ has placed in you, and the gentle spirit you can have in Christ, will come right out and be expressed. Why? Because you can rejoice in him. So the inner joy translates into an outward gentleness to one, one another because we don't have to worry about a number of things. In fact, that's the very next thing that Paul brings up, or God through Paul brings up for our attention. And he says, be anxious for nothing. All right, let me first of all say that is an instruction, isn't it? 
It doesn't say, I would recommend for you not to be anxious. But on the other hand, if you're in, in the grips of anxiety, I understand. So let's work up for you. Let's work together. And so No, he, he cuts right through all that. And he says, don't be anxious. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Does Paul know what he's talking about here? Does he have any clue of what it feels to, to have an, an anxiety attack? Does God know? Yes, he does. Is God insensitive toward me? I mean, I'm having this anxiety attack, and, and now he's telling me, don't be anxious. Well, you know what? Whether you like it to admit it or not, when we have an anxiety attack, we always have a choice. And the choice we need to make is, I'm not going to give in to that. So when the first symptom of anxiety comes up, we have a choice. We either give in to that and believe that, usually it's a lie, or we say, no. I am not going to listen. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to become a victim of this. I'm going to be, like Paul says later, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can overcome this as well. So I'm not going to give in to that. You know, one of the worst parts about fear, for instance, just as another example, which is a little easier for us to understand, is that fear feeds into itself. I've known and worked with people who had phobias about certain things. Well, Guess how it happens? You start having the first symptom of fear, and then you start panicking about the fear. Oh no, here comes again. I'm afraid of what? Not necessarily anymore about what triggered that first symptom of fear. No, I'm afraid of the fear itself. It's going to happen again. I'm going to have this. Ah, ah, ah. But you don't have to. You can take that first symptom, resize it in your mind, and say, you know what? Okay, I expected that. I had something triggered it, and it's coming up, and I don't have to give in to that. I don't have to be afraid of fear itself. I can overcome, because I can all things. I can do all things in Christ, and through Christ who strengthens me. We'll see that in a moment again. But it doesn't just leave us with this. God is really not insensitive. God doesn't tell us, okay, don't be anxious. Get over it. End of the story. Now, we had a joke. We had a guest in our house, and one day I came up, and I just... I don't know, jokingly say, well, that hurt my feelings. And I was kind of jokingly pouting. I would never say that, by the way. But, you know, it was so unusual. And so that she turns around, the guest turns right around and says, oh, get over it. <laughs> you know, like that. And boom, dismissed the whole thing. And I said, no, you just ruined everything by doing that. You know, I mean, where is it? Pity party that's supposed to be here. I, nah, she said, just get over it. So that, that was the end of a joke. She joked back and... That was it. But that's not what God does. God tells us, yes, you have a choice, all right? Don't be anxious. There are reasons and ways for that. And so it tells us, but, that's an important word. Don't be anxious. So what do I do then? Here it is. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. All right, so people say, that's too simple. It cannot be the case. Well, let's look at it a little more closely. In everything. I've had a few discussions with some people. Sometimes I like to say, you know, what can you exclude for everything, from everything? And the answer would be obvious. If it's everything, you can't exclude anything, right? Everything is everything. If you exclude one thing, it's no longer everything. But this person likes to argue with that because he says... You know, everything is often an expression that we can use to say most things. 
I really don't think God here says most things. You know, for most things by prayer and supplication. No, he says in everything. Whatever is bothering you, whatever is causing, no matter what it is that is causing for this expression of anxiety to be manifested, get back to the root. Let's define anxiety for a second. There are many possible definitions. It's a bit different from fear. Slightly different from worry. It might say you start worrying and then you get anxious about that. But anxiety projects something ahead of you, in front of you. You're anxious because you expect something to happen. You're anxious because there's something that you don't like that is facing you. Whether that is physical or, or mental or something like that, there is something you project in front. So it's, it's, it's very close, very related to worry. Now, that triggers physiological responses as well. And they can take a life of their own. And yes, some people say, I need some help for the physiological while I'm dealing with the rest. And it's fine, that can be okay in, up to a point, as long as you don't depend on that, because then you don't resolve the real problem. So, whatever that is, think about it for a second from the perspective of worry. Even though anxiety and worry are a bit different, but let's look at it from that perspective. How many times have you worried about things that never really came to pass? I suspect many, many, many times. In fact, just about every time I worried, it really never came to pass that way. We were expecting Elizabeth to communicate something before the weekend, right? So here comes the worry. Oh no, she forgot she's a worship leader and we're going to go to church and there's nobody doing the worship and, and all sorts of different things and all the service is going to go down the drain and things are going to happen and, and Joe is going to get upset and because he gets upset, you know, he's not going to play right and he's going to make mistakes and then he causes Ellen to make mistakes at the keyboard and she plays an Italian piece instead of a, of a hymn or something like that and everything is going to blow up and then the fire department is coming and pretty soon the Third World War has started, you know. Is it? <laughs> See, worries take a life of their own. When my children were little, we had this game. When we started worrying about something, we keep going and going and project it further and project it further. And pretty soon we really get to the Third World War coming up, you know, exaggerating all sorts of different things. And as a joke, yes, and have some fun, yes, but also to point out how stupid it is to stop and worry sometimes. Because we portray, we project things that will not happen. So, let's translate it in biblical language. We believe a lie. Yes. I know you don't like that word. But we believe a lie when we start thinking that things that will not happen will actually happen. It's not true, so it's a lie. And when we start believing a lie, things start taking place. All right, let's look at that anxiety from the angle of fear now. It's fear and anxiety are different. But let's look at the, so there's a little component of fear in the anxiety as well. So look at that perspective. All right? Um, how many things are you afraid that really actually do happen? We've been there, done that, not too many. Of course, if I touch the a stove, my reaction is to be afraid the next time so I don't get burned. But here's the deal. I don't put my hand on the stove again. Should I be afraid of the stove? No, I should use it wisely, carefully, not put my hand on top of it if it's hot, right? So there is a fear, a level of fear that is very healthy, prevents us from doing something stupid, like putting a, 
the hand on the red hot stove and say, oh, that's nice red. I want to touch it. Uh-uh. You've done it once. That healthy fear prevents you from doing it again, from doing it again. But it doesn't translate into you see the red glowing hot and now you start panicking because you're afraid of that. That's, that's believing a lie. That glowing red hot is hurting me in and by itself. It's not the truth. It's a lie. So we start believing that lie and give in to that. Now we are afraid of that red. So the healthy fear, don't touch it, turns into, that's damaging to me as it is. That's too much. You see, it goes beyond the, the, the proper proportion. Similarly, anxiety, we are anxious about different things. And in, in ultimate analysis, really, anxiety is a lack of faith in God. We are concerned. We project things in front of us because we don't trust that God it really is taking care of us. Let me give you an example. I may be anxious about not being able to pay my bills at the end of the month, but if I was wise enough to do what God told me to do with my finances, I should have money set aside for that. On the other hand, see, there, there's the other component of anxiety. Anxiety comes when you know you're not okay with God. In fact, one other passage in Scripture says anxiety is experienced in the expectation of punishment or in the expectation of a result of sin. So I did not do the right thing, and I put myself on the spot, and now I don't have enough money to pay my bill at the end of the month. That triggers some of that as well. But let's use somebody else's definition who summarized all of this and said, anxiety occurs when your agenda is not in line with God's agenda. Think about that for a second. That has a lot of implications. All right? When your agenda is not in line with God's agenda, you step into anxiety. Because there is another component of anxiety, and that is the control part. You get anxious when you cannot control things around you. But if you're in line with God's agenda, you don't need to control, do you? You know that God has covered, has it covered, and has taken care of that. But this sermon is not about anxiety, however. I wanted to give a little bit of an explanation. Much more could be said and perhaps should be said, but that's not the point that I'm making. What I want to, to shift to is to look at what God says. In essence, in the next part, after the but... Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. and th With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. It's basically a call back to God, a call back to trusting Him and placing our faith in Him in everything. Prayer. Well, prayer is a relational conversation with God. Supplication is a similar, uh, it's a synonym of petition. So you're asking God to answer to some issue or problem that you have. Thanksgiving, you acknowledge his grace, you acknowledge his kindness, you acknowledge his love, you are thankful for that, you express that gratitude, you express that thankfulness for God. When you put it all together, you see, you have a conversation, you have a relationship with God. Part of that relationship is asking him to help you through your needs, but you're also very thankful for what God has already accomplished and done in your life, which looking at that in the language of the Psalms says, remember what God has done in the days of old, because you will know that God is following you and protecting you even now. 
God is for you, not against you. And when you do that, when you're in that kind of relationship overall, verse 7, and the peace of God, which goes beyond comprehension. A couple of times I was talking to people about that peace, and I said, I cannot describe it to you adequately. It is a kind of peace that is, is far beyond the absence of war, the absence of conflict. It's a kind of peace that makes for the best of it for the human being. It's a kind of peace that transcends all of that. It's much further. It's much more dynamic and active. The peace in the concept of being the absence of conflict is passive. Well, there is no conflict, therefore I'm at peace. No, this peace is very active. It's very proactive. It's dynamic and it occurs within us and it gives us energy and strength as well. But I can't adequately describe it because it goes even beyond comprehension, as Scripture says. I can experience it, sometimes even beyond my ability to understand. It is a peace that soothes us, but it does more than that. It's a peace that makes us active for God in the right direction, in the right way as well. And it's a very contagious peace that will guard your hearts and your minds, again, in Christ Jesus. Notice that emphasis and he places in there again. It's all about our relationship with Christ and he is with us. Finally, brethren, you know that passage, verse 8. It's very famous and unfortunately very often so misunderstood and misapplied. Because many times people think, well, that's the power of positive thinking. You have to think positively and things will be fine. Everything will be okay. But you know what? Positive thinking translates too often, translates as believing a lie. Which, as we just said before, could be in itself a source of anxiety. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean wishful thinking. It does not mean positive thinking. It means truth thinking. Think about that as truth thinking. Because you don't want to think about things that could be true, but are not necessarily. Or you wish they were true, but not necessarily, because that's also believing a lie. You want to think of true things which are indeed true. There's only one truth anyway. Any variation of that is no longer the truth. So whatever is true, it starts with that. It has to be truth thinking. It has to be something real, something tangible. Okay, so let's say I have an issue with my wife. And I could be standing up here telling you all sorts of bad things about my wife. Her problems, her shortcomings, and of course she could then get even and say a bunch about me, you know, but probably more, much more than I can say about her. But if I were to do positive thinking, I might s slip into saying, well, we're doing just fine. You know, hey, that's everything is dandy-dory, everything is great, everything is wonderful, everything, you know, that's not true. I have issues, she's got issues. But now if I have to do truth thinking in this line, well, I have to, first of all, be honest and sincere. But that often becomes a uh, euphemism to say, okay, i got to be honest. Brace yourself. When someone comes up to you and says, i got to be honest with you, what do you do? Uh, here it comes. And cover yourself, right? Because you know the slap is coming. Now, in this case, it means I have to honestly look for the good things that are in that person. Whatever is honorable. Well, 
whatever is noble, whatever is dignified, whatever is worthy of respect in that person, that's what we need to look at. Okay, so she's got some problems. Big deal. But she is an honorable person. And I can see that. And that I can see in her or in anybody else, there are some things that are worthy of respect. That's what I should focus on. Well, what about God? Can you find anything that is honorable in God? Do you find anything in God that is worthy of respect? Can you find anything that is dignified and noble in God? Of course you can, right? Can you find truth in God? Well, God, Jesus says, I am the truth. I don't just tell you the truth. I am. You look at everything about me and you have truth. So you see, it points to God. And as he points to God, it helps us to see life from his perspective, from his lens, from his angle, which is totally different. When you worry and when you're anxious, you look at the world from your angle. And usually it's not a very good angle. But God is asking you now, look at the world from my angle. Look at the world through my lenses. You want to try one day. Take a couple of glasses. Old glasses. Okay. Some of you are wearing them. I should be wearing them, but I don't right now anyway. All right. My wife does. All right. Take some sandpaper. That's why I said old glasses. Take some sandpaper and go like this to the lens. After a little while, put the glasses on again. How well do you see? I doubt you will see very well. But that's the way we look at the world when we are anxious. From our perspective, distorted, altered, fogged up then take a new pair of glasses and put the clean clear glass and you'll see things from a different perspective you see things differently god says don't look at it your way look at it through my lenses look at it through me christ is the truth god is honorable whatever is right by whose standard your standards or god's standards well, I think the implication, if we're doing this in Christ, the implication is that whatever is right in God's standards. So whatever conforms to God's standards, again, is another call to look at it at the, from the perspective of God, through his lenses, from his perspective. Whatever is pure. Are you pure? I doubt it. Because we are not pure. God is. Now, if I look at Suzanne, can I see something pure in her? Yes, absolutely. Because I see what God has done in her. Because that purity comes from God, who is pure, absolutely pure. So once again, what do I do? I look at it from God's angle. Do you see how all of this reflects that word that Paul said was inspired to write before, in Christ? It makes a whole world of difference. Then whatever is lovely, lovely meaning promoting peace and not conflict, Right? Whatever is of good repute. Anything where there is any excellence, and the most excellent of all is God. And if anything worthy of praise, who is worthy of praise more than God? Then he says, dwell on these things. Another way of looking at that would be ponder, meditate on these things. So look at the world from God's eyes. And look at him involved in it. Yodia, look at Synthica, but look at Synthica in, in terms of what Christ is doing in her and who she is in Christ, not in terms of what you don't like about her opinion or whatever it is that it was causing conflict between the two of them. And then he concludes by saying that 
The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the the God of peace will be with you. He's not boasting about himself here, but he's telling them, look, I experienced that. I may not be able to fully explain it to you, but I explain. And if you look at me and you look at the things I've gone through and you look at the things that have occurred and happened in me, you can see that peace still, however. So do the same thing. Look at it from God's perspective. And the peace of God, again, whose peace? God's peace will be in you and will give you rest. And then he goes on to say that he rejoices in the Lord greatly and he wants to relieve their concern for him. And then he puts a parenthetical thought that I would like to close with. And that is, I'm not saying that I'm glad that you're concerned for me because I need something. Because I learned to be okay with having a lot and having nothing. Why do I want to... Con- I mean, I could have concluded a moment ago, right? But why do I want to conclude with this thought? Because you got to think in those terms to understand the previous part. Paul is saying, I have lived with plenty and abundance. And I had to learn to live with that abundance in Christ. Because oftentimes the abundance will take our attention and grab our attention and place it in more abundance or the things that we have or we need to have or, you know, and being distracted from God. Well, the learning process is when God gives you abundance, he wants you to address that, to, to look at it and to use it in Christ in a way that is suitable for a Christian. Then there are other times that God takes that abundance away and gives you nothing except for what you need to survive. Some food, some water, air to breathe. That's pretty much it. All right. So now you need to, because even that could distract you from God. As Oh, I can hear people saying, why God doesn't love me anymore because he hasn't given me all these things that I need. Well, he has given you the food and the water and the air to breathe that you need to survive. Therefore, he has given you the things you absolutely need, but not maybe the things you would like to have. That's a learning process too. So Paul had to learn to handle abundance as well as poverty in Christ, both ways. The point of it all is that we can be content with everything we had or anything we have. We don't have to have a certain, to up to a certain level, to a certain degree to be content, to experience that joy, to experience that peace, to do what he's talking about before. In fact, if we look at all of it, whether we have or don't have, from a perspective that God is involved and at work in that teaching us to be more like him. And therefore, even then, we look at it from his perspective. Then we understand the word of Jesus Christ who says, don't be like the pagans and the Gentiles who look after their clothing and their food, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. What do you need? What you really need will be added. And if you need to be poor for a while, that will be added. And if you need to be rich for a while, that will be added. But eventually, you can never die poor or rich. You die, and you're with Christ. And with Christ, all, the, all you carry with you is a treasure you built in heaven, not the treasure you built on this earth. So once again, he's calling us to look at it, to look at life including what we have and don't have from God's perspective, through God's glasses, to understand it the way he does and to see the way he does, because that changes everything. And the point and the result of that is, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who who strengthens me. I can live in poverty. I can live in wealth. 
I can live in adversity, I can live in peace. But through all of that, if I'm in Christ and He's the one who strengthens me, I don't have to be anxious, I don't have to worry, I don't have to try to control the world around me, I don't have to try to make things go my way. I can just simply be at peace because I know that God is carrying me in the palm of His hand. And what He does, He does it for my ultimate good. Think about that. Because it makes perfect sense. Shall we pray? Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for having a plan and a plan to bless us and a plan to prosper us and not a plan to make us suffer and hurt and and lead us to destruction, but rather a plan to lead us to an eternity of glory with you. But thank you also for sharing that today. Because today we are called to be in you and you in us. Thank you for giving us a different perspective, a perspective that we can use to look at life and understand life itself and all the things that happen in life in a different angle, from a different perspective, your perspective. Thank you for reminding us that we don't need to be anxious because being anxious really means not trusting you, who, as your word says, will supply all our needs according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Thank you for reminding us that we don't need to be anxious, but rather that we need to be in a relationship with you, a relationship that teaches us how we can rely on you and find your peace in our life, a peace that will guard our hearts and our minds like a soldier guards a barrack and wouldn't let anyone who is not supposed to be in would not let them in. Likewise, your peace guards our heart and doesn't allow those destructive thoughts to come into us. We thank you for all of that, Father. We thank you for the harmony you are giving us, and we thank you for your peace. And we ask you that that peace may fill our hearts now. We ask you that the peace may be with us as we leave today. We ask you that that peace may be a beacon of light in the world where we walk and may cause people to, to be drawn to you. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.